2: This episode of Stuff You Missed in History Class is brought to you by Get Your Guide. No matter where you are going on your next travels, Get Your Guide offers great ways to connect with your destination and make memories with locally vetted, expertly curated experiences. Things just as examples. You could go whitewater rafting in the Grand Canyon. You could take a tour of Pike Place Market in Seattle with a chef. There's a London Royal Parks and Palaces tour. All kinds of options wherever you are going. So discover and book your next unforgettable travel experience at GetYourGuide.com. Um, Alienware. Alienware.com slash deals. That's Alienware.com slash deals tax season is approaching, bringing potential extra cash your way. Rather than spending it all on an expensive deal filled with yada yada from your current wireless plan, consider switching to Metro by T-Mobile for no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and not a yada yada. Not putting up with yada yada means not falling for all those extra headaches. If you don't take yada yada in life, don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and not a yada, yada, stop by one of
0: over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class, a production of iHeartRadio. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Holly Fry and I'm Tracy V. Wilson. And a little housekeeping up front: This is a sponsored episode. It's sponsored by Mazda Uh, as they are promoting their new CX-30. They asked us if we would do an episode for them, and we were delighted to. Uh, We threw around a lot of ideas for this episode, but one that kept coming back to us and kept coming back up was bonsai. And it is an art form that feels uniquely special, at least to me at this point in time, where we're all feeling very disconnected because tending bonsai is used by some folks as a way to meditate and reconnect to nature and feel a little more centered And for me, it's also really easy to think about bonsai and history together because there are some very, very old bonsai in the world. Uh, We will talk about a couple at the end. So today, that is indeed what we are talking about. Uh, And to give you a a rundown of how this episode will play out, first, we're going to just quickly cover what bonsai is as kind of a level set, because there are some misconceptions, particularly in the Western world about it. Uh, And then we're going to talk about its origins in China and its development in Japan, which is the country it's probably most associated with in popular culture anyway. And then a little bit about how it became a subject of fascination for the Western world. And then at the end, we're going to talk about a few notable. Bonsai.
2: In very broad terms, bonsai is the practice of cultivating plants in containers with a goal, uh, in the words of the Oxford Companion to the Garden, to quote, suggest a natural scene or the abstract beauty of a tree in nature. Normally, these plants are grown in coarse soil in very small trays or pots, and there's a really wide range of plants that can be grown in this way, although woody perennials are the favored option. They all need a fair amount of attention and care with the regard to their watering and their pruning, as well as occasional feeding.
0: Bonsai practice generally creates a simplified version of a larger plant, and that's simplified to accommodate the smaller scale. A mature, well-maintained bonsai typically has horizontal branch growth to create some width, and sometimes even branches that reach downward. Uh, We'll talk about some of the styles in more detail in a moment. And it also has a full but compact foliage on top. So sometimes like the sort of classic... Bonsai that people may think of when they hear the word is one that has foliage that looks sort of like clouds at the top. And the small size of the plants uh, is not the result of genetic selection or modification. It's careful design and cultivation from the time they're seedlings. And the size range for bonsai, I've been mentioning how small they are, but it is not as restricted to smallness as you might think. There is actually a size classification system that allows for varying sizes of bonsai, uh, and the large bonsai that are in that are as tall as 80 inches. That's about two meters, so that's a substantial tree.
2: There are a number of different styles of bonsai, and they're inspired by different ways that trees grow in nature. A bonsai does not need to fall into one of these categories, and there are just vast variations in interpretation of the categories. But they offer a good way to guide the styling for a horticulturist. Here are a few but this is not an exhaustive list at all there are also subdivisions within many of these styles and also entirely different styles that are not part of this list you were uh, yesterday as you were working on this <laughs> you mentioned that you were starting on this list and that it was turning out to be extremely large
0: yeah it's one of those things where you you think you'll have a few bullet points and then you're like uh-oh <laughs> So the first style, uh, which is a really common style, is broom style, and that features a straight trunk with foliage that branches out at the top one third of the tree. Uh, Deciduous trees with sort of fine branch structures are ideal for this because they create that nice cloudy top.
2: The formal upright style is also characterized by a straight trunk, but this time it tapers at the top with foliage that is thickest at the bottom and also thins out as it rises.
0: Informal upright style features a tapered trunk, but one that's grown not straight, but is an S-shape with branching at each curve. There's also a slanting style that stays straight, but typically grows at a 60 to 80 degree angle. Cascading
2: style mimics trees that grow downward because of external influences. So the trunk grows upward, but then it bends over, allowing the branches and the foliage to shower toward the ground. There's also a semi-cascade style, which can be grown with a less dramatic downturn.
0: Uh, yeah, one of the, the... I watched a brief video about some of these, and one of them suggested, like, oh, it would be like if a tree grew under heavy snowfall and its branches couldn't support it, and so it cascades over.
2: Yeah, I was thinking when a tree grows, like, at the edge of a cliff. Yep. And there's erosion over time, and its mm-hmm. trunk compensates.
0: Yeah. Uh, rock falls are also sometimes noted as the the cause for those. Literati style is all about verticality, growing upward, uh, but crooked, with no branching on most of the tree trunk except at the very top. And this style is intended to mimic trees in nature that would have to compete and struggle for sunlight and resources with other plant life.
2: Windswept style, as its name suggests, means that the tree is grown to look like one that develops in very windy conditions, with the foliage only on one side and an angled trunk
0: Double-trunk style has a bifurcated trunk, with each trunk growing its own foliage, and the multi-trunk style follows this same idea, but in that case, it forks into more than two trunks. This is not to be confused with forest style, which can feature many trunks, but in the forest style, each is its own individual tree, not a splitting of one trunk into multiples.
2: Growing on a rock style and growing in a rock style are exactly as their names indicate with the roots visible and clinging to the exterior of a base rock in the former, and the roots concealed within the rock in the latter.
0: There are also styles of bonsai based on damage that a tree might encounter in nature. So raft style starts with a cracked tree and then has branches growing upward out of the old damaged tree to develop foliage that forms kind of one unit at the top and shari style mimics the naturally occurring bark loss that trees may experience in nature by carefully carving away the bark on the part of the designer.
2: Because bonsai is an art form, there are a lot of different expressions of it, and ongoing evolution within the field, Uh, so it changes over time. But this has also led to what some would consider a dilution of the bonsai art form, particularly as popularity of the concept has led to commercial enterprises that... Don't have a lot of interest in the principles behind it. Like, I know I've seen advertisements and catalogs and stuff that are like, buy an instant bonsai. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sort of defeating the point. Part of the difficulty there is that the principles are often listed very, very differently depending on your source.
0: When talking about the aesthetics of bonsai, texts, at least in English, very, very greatly. Uh, In some cases, you'll find a specific list of principles of design, which include things like balance, proportion, movement, simplicity, unity, and an absence of the designer's involvement. That means you can't see the way that the tree may have been manipulated. But other texts are much more general, suggesting that as an art form, these rules are not really rules, but they're just sort of guides to uh, inform decisions on how you design and maintain a tree.
2: So particularly in Western cultures, who are really translating this Asian art form through a Western lens, things have gotten kind of muddled. The word bonsai has become synonymous with horticultural tininess and very small plants kept in containers more than relating directly to the aesthetic principles of bonsai or its Chinese precursor, penjing. Some of this expansion beyond the classical sense of bonsai is reflected in the consideration of a pre-World War II bonsai as the classical model and post-World War II as modern Although that doesn't really encompass the sort of fast and loose use of the term to apply to pretty much any small plant.
0: I um I don't want to throw any retailer under the bus, but I was once in a, a store that sold plants, and they had a, a row of tiny cactus <laughs> labeled as bonsai, and I was like... I don't quite think
2: so. Uh. <laughs> well, when when I was a child, there was a, a catalog that I particularly loved to look through, and it sold something that it described as a grow-your-own bonsai kit. And what it was was a potato with a partially sprouted eye. And that potato eye, you know, root that comes out, like, th- uh-huh. that was supposed to be... The bonsai. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that is a fascinating interpretation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, bonsai, even in its less rigid definitions, but presuming you're not talking about a potato, uh, is by its nature meticulous. Caring for a bonsai tree is an ongoing process. Because their pans or trays are very small, and because it's usually with a coarse soil, they often need to be watered frequently. This does vary, though, of course, by plant type. Uh, Both indoor and outdoor plants need to have their environment carefully managed. And for even hobbyists, pruning is required to keep the shape of the foliage. That effort becomes much more intensive for expert designers. Uh, Everyone, I think, has probably seen footage of, like, that person that is carefully clipping uh, bonsai, sometimes in ways that are not even perceptible to the human eye, uh, but are, of course, part of shaping it into that beautiful, beautiful final product. Uh, Root pruning is also part of maintaining the small size of the plants. And all of this work, which is done quite carefully, uh, adds a meditative element to the cultivation of bonsai, and that is part of its appeal. So just a moment ago, we mentioned Penjing. We can't really talk about bonsai's history without
2: talking about that first. So coming up, we will get into some discussion of the miniature horticultural art of China. First, we will take a quick sponsor break.
0: Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched
1: it? Yeah, it was edited so well.
2: And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks.
1: There's plenty to celebrate in March and exciting National Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free.
3: Hey Doug Galib here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making the now perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck, like a rugged half-ton Tundra. When you buy a Toyota truck, you buy Toyota dependability, meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out the amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places.
0: Penjing, also called Penzai, which was its earliest name, is where the bonsai story really starts. China, due to its vast size, has an incredibly diverse range of plant life, and there was already a well-established gardening tradition in China that had begun hundreds of years before the creation of these mini-scenes developed as an art form. And the name Penjing translates to tray scenery or pot scenery.
2: And the idea of Penjing is that a person can see the large in the tiny. The miniature nature allows for the experience of seeing larger things from a different perspective, both literally and figuratively. And it's an expression of emotion as much as it is a miniature recreation of larger natural scenes. Reverence for large-scale natural forms like mountains and forests informed the development of Penjing as a way to connect to nature.
0: But penjing is not only about plants. There are actually three types of penjing. Tree penjing, landscape penjing, and water and land penjing. And all of this is meant to form a blended balance of nature and art. The natural elements can almost be considered as artists' media to be combined with other media, such as small sculpture or arrangements of stones. One source that I read likened it to a landscape painting, but one that is alive and with greater dimension. And because of this, penjing works are often revisited after they're completed, not just to maintain the the living floral elements, but also to be reworked to accommodate the growth of the living plants within them. So you might need to change around where the sculpture sits, depending on how your, your tree in the scene has grown. While
2: there were miniature gardenscapes created as far back as the Shang Dynasty, which lasted from about 1600 to 1046 BCE, The first evidence of Penjing is from the Han Dynasty. That's around 200 CE. So what we have from that 200 CE is is a picture, a painting of Penjing, not the plant itself. And that representation is a fresco in an Eastern Han tomb that features six red flowering plants. They're arranged in a small round container, and then that sits in a square frame. This art form would have initially been something that was reserved for the wealthy and the privileged, so it makes sense that its first evidence is on
0: a prince's tomb. From the 3rd to the 5th centuries, Buddhism and Taoism became highly influential, leading people to eschew the trappings of money and engage instead with nature. And as a consequence, Penjing developed greatly during this time, as people sought ways to have nature, even in its smallest form, in their everyday lives. Penjing became entwined with the idea of cultivating one's character and one's appreciation for beauty.
2: Another huge period of growth for this art form came in the 7th through the 9th centuries, during the Tang Dynasty. When arts flourished, this was a relatively stable period in Chinese history, One of the most famous historical depictions from Penjing is from this period. It's a mural on a mausoleum for Prince Zhenghui from uh, the year 706, and it features a servant woman carrying a tray with a
0: miniature scene on it with rocks and fruit trees. Evidence of Pengjing appears from throughout the Tang Dynasty in the 8th century. It's written about in poems and it's documented as something that people would cultivate for their own homes, often incorporated into their outdoor landscapes. So you would have it in your yard, for example.
2: In the 10th century's Northern Song Dynasty, it was similarly represented in art. And this is when the water and land Pengjing also developed. During this time, it appeared in a lot of poetry and paintings as well, sometimes as a decorative element in a larger scene, but often as the subject of the work itself. This appreciation and representation of Pinjing continued over the next two centuries. Then, sometime during the period when the Song Dynasty and the Japanese Heian period overlap, Penjing made its way to Japan. We will be coming back to
0: Japan in just a moment. During the Ming Dynasty, which spanned the years 1368 to 1644, Penjing not only flourished, but more and more ideas of it beyond an object of beauty were recorded. Writer Tu Lung declared that smaller Penjing that could, quote, be set on a stool or table were the best ones, followed by Penjing, intended to sit in courtyards. And he also wrote advice on what he believed were the best aesthetic principles of the art form, preferring the look of aged trees, such as those in images by a number of famous painters. He stresses as well that though plants in Penjing could be trained with stiff fibers or string, there should be no appearance of such manipulation in the final product. That is something that continues in these art forms today.
2: During the Qing Dynasty, which followed the Ming and lasted until 1911, the possibilities of penjing expanded really significantly. The limits of this art form were tested, they were expanded, more and more creative concepts emerged. During this time, regional styles also developed, and there were books about the art that rapidly grew in number, including writings that talked about the virtue of creating penjing for pleasure it started to take on an identity not just of something that could bring a person closer to nature, but also with something done simply for the pleasure of creating it.
0: Yeah, it kind of switches and becomes not uh, just this meditative thing, but also not leaving that idea behind, but also, like, kind of being pitched almost as a hobby. Like, you could do this, too. Uh, as part of this developmental period, more decorative containers came into fashion. And Penjing, which had long been the subject of visual art and poetry, then started to mimic the concepts of those arts in its execution. So to, to represent the same ideas and concepts of a painting in the Penjing or the ideas of a poem in the execution, Execution of the scene.
2: When the Qing Dynasty collapsed in 1911, that marked a downfall of the popularity of Penjing as well, at least for a while. But in the last 50 years, there's been a renewed interest and appreciation for the art form in China. In 1981, the Chinese Association of Flower and Penjing was formed. That group later folded into the Chinese Society of Landscape Architecture under the header of Flower, Penjing, and Stone Branch, And that's been tasked with mounting an exhibition every four years, starting in 1985. The Chinese Penjing Artists Association was formed in 1988 with a mission to continue to share the art form throughout the country.
0: Penjing has spread around the world and has gained popularity in many cases alongside Japanese bonsai. The two art forms are often shown at the same expositions, with penjing often offering gardeners and viewers a less austere alternative to the usually more formal forms of bonsai.
2: So as we mentioned a few moments ago, the art of penjing made its way into Japan during the Heian period. That's a period we've talked about on the show a couple of times before, In the fiction book, The Tale of the Hollow Tree, which was written in Japan in 970, the merits of cultivating trees is mentioned in a passage that's often quoted in Bonsai Histories. Quote, A tree that is left growing in its natural state is a crude thing, It is only when it is kept close to human beings who fashion it with loving care that its shape and style acquire the ability to move one.
0: When Zen Buddhism became popular in Japan starting in the 12th century, the Japanese adaptation of Penjing became intertwined with it as Zen monks sought to represent the universe in the cultivation of single plants. And this is actually the source of many of the aesthetic ideals that shaped bonsai and continue today, and it's why Japanese bonsai tends to be a little bit more stark in contrast to its Chinese origins. But while this is an important aspect of the development of bonsai, it's worth noting that the exact start of the bonsai tradition is not something that's universally agreed upon. Um, we, we have been talking about all of these these pieces of the puzzle in its history, and some people will point to like China as the origin versus others who want to put it more in uh, Japan as when it really becomes bonsai, and uh, it's a matter of debate. Um, the word bonsai, which was a linguistic adaptation of the Chinese penzai was not in use yet at this point. Centuries later, though, the association with Zen Buddhism of bonsai and its origins in the 12th century remains.
2: The idea of growing trees in dishes in Japan reached beyond monks as well. But often the dishes were a lot deeper. They were bowls instead of pans. This style, called hachinoki, was immortalized in a folktale in the late 1300s, and it also became a no-play. That story is about an impoverished samurai who gives up his last treasured potted trees to use as firewood for a traveling monk in the winter. In the second act, it's revealed that the monk was actually the shogun, Tokiori Hojo, who helps the samurai regain his fortune in the end. This was a really popular story, and woodblock prints depicting it were popular for hundreds of years.
0: Over time, small, cultivated container trees became so culturally significant in Japan that most people would have had one in some form. But these were still not bonsai in the sense we would think about them today. That name, again, did not even exist (laughs) until the beginning of the 19th century, and that was when that Chinese name was adapted and adopted during a summit of scholars. In doing so, they wanted to set apart the common hachinoki from the more artistic efforts at growing trees in shallower vessels with greater design and intent. And there had already been shows for dwarf-potted trees in Kyoto. So this separation and definition helped codify standards for shows and competitions to include bonsai as a distinct, separate thing going forward, leading eventually to formal showings of bonsai that started in the 1930s.
2: As the 19th century played out, bonsai was recognized as its own art form in Japan to the degree that formal writing, horticultural theory, and shows started to become really common. The different styles of bonsai started to develop, and methods of training trees changed to include the use of wire instead of stiff natural fibers.
0: We'll talk next about a natural disaster and its impact on bonsai in Japan in the 20th century. But before we do, we're going to have a quick sponsor break. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited
1: so well.
2: And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks.
1: There's plenty to celebrate in March and exciting National Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free.
4: Hey guys, it's Rich Davis from Cavino & Rich here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer. Making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter what your style, you could drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places.
0: We have talked on the show before about the Great Kanto Earthquake, which obliterated Yokohama and much of Tokyo and killed more than 140,000 people. And that also impacted bonsai. A robust nursery industry of growers who specialized in training bonsai had developed in Tokyo in the decades prior to the earthquake. With all of their hard work destroyed, 30 of the families who owned such nurseries started over as a collective in nearby Omiya, which has since then become Omiya Bonsai Village and has become a hub for bonsai culture. In 2010, it became home to the Omiya Bonsai Art Museum.
2: Japan went through massive changes after its surrender at the end of World War II. The empire was gone, the country was reformed as a democracy. And its economy was just completely overhauled while the damage from the war was rebuilt. Bonsai persisted despite all of these changes, and it became more revered as art. In the second half of the 20th century, there was a dip in bonsai's popularity in Japan. But in recent years, there's been a resurgence, and one that's been accompanied by experimental designs that really stray from the more formal predecessors that we've been talking about.
0: Yeah, I am not an expert, uh, by any means, but one of the things I was reading uh, mentioned how the some of the newer forms of bonsai are a little more wild, and I, I wonder if they're getting a little bit more back to their roots in Penjing. Bonsai-related items were in the U.S. as far back as the colonies. Trading agreements with China led to the import of goods that were new and novel to North America. And the same seeds of the cultural fetishism and ethnocentric views of Victorian England with regards to Asia were definitely in place in the United States colonial days, so items like miniature plants from Asia became prized elements of personal collections.
2: Several world expositions, starting in the 1870s, featured displays of dwarf trees from Japan. European and North American attendees wanted to see these plants, and that desire had been stoked by centuries of written descriptions by travelers to Asia who had described the practice of horticulture in miniature. This eventually led to the first book in the Western world about bonsai, which was published in France in 1902. A tourist industry grew in Japan, which sold inferior quality bonsai to European and American tourists who then brought them home. This led to some of the misinformation about this art form.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, uh, trading on the fact that that uh, Western tourists didn't really know what they were buying also caused a lot of confusion in the West about bonsai. Immigrants from Japan to the U.S. brought the bonsai tradition with them, although horticulture knowledge was by no means ubiquitous among the people who traveled across the Pacific to work as laborers. As bonsai continued to fascinate U.S. gardeners and hobbyists, this led to some opportunities for Japanese experts in bonsai to share their knowledge through demonstrations and teaching sessions, which were often organized by garden clubs. Eventually, clubs that focused specifically on bonsai began to form in the U.S., starting on the West Coast. Penjing had more difficulty in gaining appreciation in the United States, thanks in part to the Chinese Exclusion Act. In
2: 1915, the Japanese government shipped bonsai to the San Francisco Panama Pacific International Expo for exhibit. Several of these bonsai were hundreds of years old, The exhibit was seen by 19 million visitors and that sparked an all-new level of interest in bonsai in the U.S. That interest was impeded by a plant quarantine law in the 19-teens because that prevented new bonsai from entering the country. That was part of an effort to protect North American agriculture from invasive species of pests.
0: Another previous show topic had a significant impact on bonsai in the United States. Executive Order 9066, which we have talked about and which displaced many Japanese immigrants and their citizen children, forced the growers that had established nurseries on the West Coast to abandon their work, leaving countless plants and their livelihoods to die. In some cases, bonsai masters that were in camps tended to trees during internment as kind of part of their coping mechanisms. And we will talk about an example of one of those in just a moment.
2: Bonsai had a surge in popularity in the U.S. starting in the mid-20th century. One of the drivers was servicemen who were returning from duty in Asia and brought bonsai plants home with them as mementos or as gifts. These plants got the nickname Rucksack Bonsai, but once these plants had been brought back to the U.S., the soldiers started to realize they didn't actually know what to do with them or how to take care of them.
0: And while the West Coast had a degree of established bonsai culture by this time, on the East Coast, bonsai were less familiar, at least to the middle class. The wealthy had been purchasing imported bonsai since the turn of the century, but for the average person, they still didn't really know what, what the whole thing was about. And so to fill that gap in knowledge, the Brooklyn Botanic Garden published a booklet on bonsai care that was one of the first guides to the art published in the United States for novice practitioners. And it also helped spread interest in this art form. Soon, there was enough interest for the Botanic Garden to have expert Kanyashiroda teach classes on bonsai. And Yashiroda also wrote several books on this art in his lifetime. And his book, Bonsai Japanese Miniature Trees, Their Style, Cultivation, and Training, is still very popular on the secondary market. If you find a good quality first edition, you're going to pay hundreds of dollars for it. Throughout the second half of the 20th
2: century, bonsai as both an art form and as a hobby has continued to be popular outside of its countries of origin. While some people appreciate bonsai and penjing solely as examples of art, caring for these plants continues to be a source of calm and contemplation for both practitioners of Zen Buddhism and for secular enthusiasts. You can even find courses in bonsai as meditation.
0: And while there are innumerable bonsai around the world, there are famous bonsai. And so I wanted to make sure that we touched on a few of those.
2: The bonsai, believed to be the oldest in the world, is more than a thousand years old. It's part of the collection of the Crespi Bonsai Museum in Milan, Italy. The museum calls the large-sized ficus the Prince of the Museum Collection. It's been with the museum since it was acquired from a private collector in 1986. It's been tended by generations of both Chinese and Japanese masters, and it requires daily care and attention.
0: Perhaps the most notable long-lived bonsai is a Japanese white pine that's part of the National Arboretum in the collection of the National Bonsai and Penjing Museum in Washington, D.C. This tree is 390 years old, interesting enough on its own, but it survived the bombing of Hiroshima when the atomic bomb Little Boy was dropped in World War II. And it was given to the U.S. as a bicentennial gift, along with 52 other examples of bonsai by Masaru Yamaki, a Japanese master of bonsai. But even the museum did not know this tree's history until the master's grandsons visited to check on the tree that they had heard about in their family stories. Uh, That happened in 2001, and suddenly everyone knew about this Hiroshima-surviving bonsai.
2: In February 2019, seven bonsai were stolen from the public collection of Seiji Imura. The bonsai seller in Tokyo. One of them was a valuable 400 year old Shimpaku juniper with an estimated value of more than $50,000. Seiji Imura and his wife Fuyumi appeared on television and pled with the thieves to please water the tree, which would not survive a week without proper care.
0: Earlier this year, and we are recording in 2020. Two bonsai trees were stolen from the Pacific Bonsai Museum in Federal Way, Washington, and one of them was a Japanese black pine, and it was of particular historical significance. It had begun its life in a tin can in a Japanese internment camp. It was cultivated by one of the detainees there. The other tree was also important. It was a silverberry created by artist Kiyoko Hatanaka in 1946.
2: The museum put out a call on social media for their returning, promising that they would just not ask any questions. They were just afraid that these irreplaceable trees would die without proper care. Three days after the theft, the trees reappeared in the museum's driveway.
0: There are some great photographs, uh, because it was a rainy day when they came back, of just these trees in this driveway that are worth Untold amounts of money in the rain, and they had the forethought to take a picture of them before moving them back to the museum. Uh, an article about the Hiroshima survivor bonsai featured a quote from the curator of the National Bonsai and Penjing Museum, Jack Sustic, and it, I felt like it captured part of why this art form is so captivating. As he contemplated the constant daily care that older examples of bonsai require, he said, quote, "I always like to say bonsai is like a verb. It's not a noun. It's doing." I love that quote.-hmm. It is amazing to me when you think about uh, I had this moment last night where I was trying to explain this to one of my friends, and I was like, "If these trees could talk, because a thousand-year-old tree has seen some stuff. yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I just am like bowled over by, by their long histories and the things we will never ever know about them, um, which is very, very cool. Uh, I do have listener mail. It is from our listener, Haley, who writes, Hi, my name is Haley. I'm a big fan of your podcast. I have a few suggestions and ideas for future podcast ideas. I really love learning about historical hoaxes. Me too. And I recently wrote an essay for school about the Mechanical Turk. I haven't listened to all your podcasts, so if you've made a podcast on this topic, then another of my favorite historical hoaxes is a donation of Constantine. We did the Donation of Constantine. Uh, We (laughs) also have done uh, some episodes on Automata. In 2013, we did one on five historical uh, robots. Uh, She also mentions our James Baldwin podcast that she thought was amazing. Uh, And then she gives us some other suggestions of of potential interesting uh, Black figures in history, which is very cool. Some of those we have covered. But, Haley, I just want to say thank you for listening. Uh, We clearly share some of the same interests. And if you would like to write to us, you could do so at History Podcast at iHeartRadio.com. You can also find us pretty much everywhere on social media as Missed in History. It is also easiest pie to subscribe to the podcast. You can do that on the iHeartRadio app, at Apple Podcasts, or wherever it is you listen. Stuff You Missed in History Class
2: is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.